Hello, and welcome to another episode of In the End, a morbidly curious podcast. I'm your co-host, Emma Hitchcock. And I'm Tara Ingman. How are you doing today, Emma? A little better. Um, yeah. Good. For our dear listeners, I got the flu. Yeah. And then like, couldn't stay home from work for a variety of reasons, and so it didn't really get better, and then it just became bronchitis. So that's sort of like... <laughs> The yeah. space that I'm currently living in is uh, my third straight week of being repulsively ill. Um, <laughs> but it's okay. We're here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> for you guys, no matter what. Uh, so I sound awful. So I was hoping um, that because I'm sick and I don't feel good and I don't want to talk that you could like tell me a story this week. I can do that. I can tell you a story this week. We actually got a request from a listener um, to talk about the Donner Party. So (laughs) yeah, we did because those are our listeners. Because our listeners are awesome. Are the best. (laughs) So when you're sick, nothing to cheer you up like the story of the Donner Party. Yeah, things could always be worse. (laughs) That's yeah, I was... The Donner Party and, like, the movie Alive about the uh-huh. soccer players that crashed in the Andes. Like, I like watching those because they just remind me that, like, no matter how bad my day is, <laughs> at least I didn't have to eat my friends. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> perspective is everything. So, no, I think this is a perfect story. Uh, it's so true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For those of you unfamiliar with the Donner Party, um, this story involves cannibalism. Content warning at the top. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. So just to give a little bit of background, like mid-19th century American history. (laughs) Um, In 1803, the U.S. purchases like this giant territory from France called the Louisiana Purchase, right? which buys America basically between the Mississippi River and the Rocky Mountains, like giant swath of territory. And a few people like go out and explore it, but it's basically inhabited only by like various Native American tribes at this point. By the 1840s, there are still essentially like no cities between the Mississippi (laughs) And the West Coast. (laughs) There's like some forts and some trading posts and like trappers wandering around out there. But that's some jaunty hats. (laughs) Right. So this is kind of the period of like what becomes known in American history as Manifest Destiny, which is coined in 1845, which is like was always my personal like worst. period of American history in school. I hated this. I thought it was super boring. I I don't even think it's boring. It's just so obnoxiously American. (laughs) It really is. (laughs) And like I hear, like not to get modern politics, but like I hear Trump being like, it's manifest destiny. And I'm like, of course you think that's a good idea. (laughs) Like, of course. Right, yeah. (laughs) The inevitability that Americans must expand. Like, no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Talk to Belgium. Like, they're fine. They're like, we got our little, <laughs> tiny little Belgium, and we're good. We don't need and to go all good. fuck up everybody yeah. else's shit. 
Yeah, no, that's that's very um, the opposite of America's attitude, both in the 19th century and today. <laughs> and forever. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> so at this time, like right in the middle of the 19th century, like the East is starting to fill up with cities and towns and there's less like open land around for the claiming. So there's this boom of westward expansion. And yes, it's very much this like America must expand to both coasts of this continent. Whatever. So all of these <laughs> all of these wagon trains start moving west. The first one is in 1841 filled with settlers. Yeah. So like families mostly is what we're talking about at this point. And they're going to the west coast to settle and like claim what they think is empty land like obviously native americans have been living on it for thousands of years <laughs> right but, like, obviously there's people there who are like uh excuse me right. <laughs> but like not that many white people so white americans don't care <laughs> um california though way, oh, huh no, no no but it's like it's a way a lot of um like poor farmers or people who couldn't afford to own land Right. In the settled territories, they were like, right. this is my opportunity to, like, live the American dream and I can have my yes. farm and I can, like, help build a city. And we, you know, mm -hmm. it was like, it was a feel good way to capture the American dream for, for white sure. Americans and literally no one else. And no one else. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And, like, California also is part of Mexico at this time. But once again, like... White American settlers, we don't care. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Empty land. Definitely not owned by anybody. Um, so the first wagon train goes west in 1841. So, And this is like pre-gold rush, which is like the end of the 1840s, early 1850s. So yeah, the draw is this like empty, according to them anyway, right. fertile quote, land. Quote. Empty. <laughs> right and like this like a much better climate than especially in like the northern parts of like eastern america um and this sort of thing so like they set out this route that all of the wagon trains follow and it kind of meanders around like if you see it on a map you think that it looks like an insane route to take <laughs> because you have to go like way up to the north and then cross the Rockies and then go way back down. It looks totally crazy, but like it's set up that way to follow rivers and to avoid deserts. And it's dictated also by mountain passes, right? You have to cross the Rocky mountains to get to California <laughs> right? in a wagon. Like that's not <laughs> right. You're not going up there in your Hummer. Like, yes, yeah. no, <laughs> So trips to Oregon were easier. This is like the Oregon Trail is kind Yay. of the... Right, if you ever played that computer game as a kid, um, this is kind of the era that we're talking about. Best computer game possibly ever. It's like oh, that yeah. and Plague Inc. It That's was awesome. It. <laughs> Super hard, though. Always died of like typhus I know, or trying like, to ford the river <laughs> i'm right oh god that was always the best um no i liked that though because it's like 
in that sense, historically accurate. Like, odds of getting your entire family and all of your shit there, minimal. Like, yeah, not great. Minimal. <laughs> and that game brought it home hard. And I, there was one version I had that, um, like, early on, before we even had a computer at my house, like, this is how old I am, like, computer day at school. But, right. like... It would save little gravestones that you could yes. visit along the way. And then you would pass them was, again. Yeah. Yep. And since it was like the school computer and everybody was playing on it, there's like a gravestone every 12 seconds with nice. like everybody, you know, and we're like kids. So everybody's name is like Buttface and like Buttface died right. of a snake bite. I'm like, yeah. this is the best. This game is amazing. Uh, anyway, sorry. Tangent. Nice. But like, no, no. Had to Absolutely. share my Oregon trail love. Yeah, so the trips to, like, the route to Oregon was easier because you could keep the wagons with you the whole way. The route to California, you had to cross the Sierra Nevada, which is the mountain chain in the east of California, which meant, at the time, abandoning your wagons, which, like, is not a great option because they contain literally everything you own, right? Right. (laughs) I needed those. That's why I brought them. Right. So then in 1844, a group actually makes it to California with their wagons for the first time. But, yeah, sort of. But, like, it's a total shit show. They have to, like, abandon the wagons in the mountain and then come back for them. And then, like, rig some sort of pulley rope system to, like, haul them directly. Like, it's a total shit show. But, like, they do technically make it there with most of their possessions so like yay we can all do this now (laughs) um all of the groups left from independence missouri which if you ever played oregon trail you will remember (laughs) it was basically the and there were only three professions that were allowed to go Right, yes. <laughs> bankers, was it bankers, farmers, and... Carpenters, I think. Car- blacksmith or carpenter or something. Yeah, yeah carpenter. something that could, like, fix That's tools it. along the way. Yeah. <laughs> Independence was, like, basically the westernmost town in the United States before you got to the West Coast. So as soon as the ground was dry in the spring, so, like, the very last days of April or, like, May 1st or 2nd at the latest, everybody was leaving because you had to get across the mountains before the winter snows closed the mountain passes. So like, that sounds like a lot of time, but again, you're crossing the like half of the continent with wagons. Like the timing was pretty tight actually. With wagons and oxen and like people, like these aren't military marches. Like, <laughs> right. These are like your baby children. And, yeah. Right. Right. It's about 2000 miles. Like four to five months, 2,000 miles, traveling with the wagons led by oxen. If you're traveling around like two miles an hour, which I've read anyway is fairly average, then you can do like between 15 and 20 miles per day, depending on how many hours you're going to travel each day. So like if you do the math on that, it's 125 days of eight hours every day. Yeah. Right. So It's a bit over four months. We're talking like four and a half months-ish. Yeah. Right. Provided nothing breaks and... Right. Like that you don't have delays. Right. Whatever. Under like prime perfect conditions. Yeah. (laughs) So the Donner Party, it's 1846. 
And like, I'm sorry, wait, isn't yes. it often called like the Donna Reed party? Yes, it yeah, it often is. Yeah, because the two... yeah. So families? in total, it's yeah. ten families. Like okay. the Donner party as we know them today, it's ten families: George Donner and his brother Jacob Donner and their families, the Reeds, the Breens, the Murphys, the Graves, the Eddies, the McCutcheons, and the Wolfingers. Okay. Plus nineteen like individuals as well. Most of them are NPCs. <laughs> Yeah, most of them are um, like Teamsters and employees of the other families, but some of them are just like dudes traveling west by themselves who like have to join up with a group and happened to join the Donners one. So the Donners and the Reeds arrive in Independence on May 10th. They rested one day and then they left on May 12th. So already like from the very beginning. start. (laughs) Right. We're about two weeks behind everybody else. If this is a choose your own adventure. We've already gone off track. Got it. <laughs> right. Yeah. This is like the worst choose your own adventure ever. <laughs> so they leave on May 12th. They set off like northwest ish towards Nebraska. And about a week later, they catch up to like the main body of the group. And they kind of trail along towards the end of that. Um Then there are various delays for different reasons along the road. So, like, for example, in northern Kansas, when they're trying to ford the Big Blue River, (laughs) which, like, (laughs) guys, really? That's what you call it? Okay. (laughs) The Big Blue. Yeah, I can think of it as Finding Nemo. (laughs) Um, A storm hit just before they arrived at the ford that, like, makes the ford impassable. And they have to wait for... They wait for several days to see if the water will go down. And when it doesn't, they build rafts and have to, like, ferry the wagons over individually. Yep. That never ends. Again, that never ends well in <laughs> no, the Oregon Trail. No, it really doesn't. It always ends overturning your wagon, losing all your shit, and probably some of your people, too. <laughs> yeah. But in this case, they all made it across. It was fine. But they did lose five days. So, like... Right. These sorts of little delays, like, they were already two weeks late, and, like, eh, shit is out. But they, like, made up time. Eh, apparently. Not so much. Well, no, I mean, to catch up with the main... Yes, that's true. Pack. That's true. They and are, like, they with the pack, again. even if right. they're at the back of it. But, like, they're with the pack. Right. In early June, they reach the Platte River, which is in, like, central Nebraska, which the trail follows, um kind of still northwest into Wyoming, and that leads to the pass that they're going to take through the Rockies. Early July, they leave the Platte around, like, what is today um, Casper, Wyoming. This is kind of in the middle of Mm -hmm. Wyoming. And they head for the Sweetwater River. The Sweetwater is what they'll follow, is what the trail follows into the Rockies. So you go through Devil's Gate, which is a gorge, And then through South Pass. So this is like, South Pass is where they actually cross the Rockies. It's roughly halfway. It's about a thousand miles into the trip. So at this point, once they get through South Pass, we're about nine weeks out. And like, they're still towards the end of the group, but like, not alarmingly so. Yeah, so nobody's that worried. And after South Pass... Foreshadowing. (laughs) Right. Dun, dun, dun. After South Pass, 
the route splits off according to your destination. So either Oregon or California. The Donner party is going to, so it's still like at this point, just the Donners and the Reeds. So the Donners and the Reeds are going to California. And the traditional route to California goes from South Pass to Fort Hall, which is in like southeastern Idaho, and then turns south. So you still like at this point, they still like the main trail still has to go north before we can turn around and go south. Right. So here's where we run into trouble. A few years before this, <laughs> this guy called Lansford Warren Hastings had published a memoir of his trip and his life out west. And he said that an alternate route existed that he called oh, the Hastings no. Cutoff. Right. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. So his great idea was... Instead of going north from South Pass to Fort Hall, you turn south and you go southwest to Great Salt Lake, which is in Utah, and then you turn and go directly west across the desert and then cross the Sierra Nevada, and then you're, like, in California. Ta-da! But no. Right. So he is trying to promote this route because he has these grand plans to, like, attract American settlers to California and then break away from Mexico, declare their independence, like Texas had just done at this point, like a handful of years before. So he's been setting up this town at Sutter's Fort, which is like the end point of both his route and like the main route. Yeah. It's modern day Sacramento. And so he, in order to like make this happen he needs to make sure that settlers come to california and not to oregon so the I problem is much more of like a like a snake oil salesman where he just like clearly had like the only lemonade stand between <laughs> salt lake and sierra nevada or something or he's right. like you should definitely come this way and it's like aren't you thirsty like that's but he yeah, had bigger plans. Okay. The the problem is um, that he has never been to any of these places and right, he has Nash. never taken this route. He had taken... And his memoir is bullshit. Yeah. Right. Complete bullshit. He had taken the normal route to Oregon when he traveled out west. And then from Oregon, he went down south to California. So, like, he has absolutely no idea what he's talking about. He's never been here, never seen any of this country. He just looked at a map and was like... Right. You know what would be faster if we just go direct instead of, like, around? Oh, that guy's a dick. (laughs) Oh, it gets better. So Hastings, in order to, like, convince people to, like, take his Hastings cut off, yeah, he leaves Sacramento, Sauter's Fort, in April 1846 to, like, ride east along the trail of his proposed route because his plan is to, like, meet up with the wagons around South Pass and try and convince people to come south. So he does make it there in time and he travels like with a couple of guys, but it's just like them on horses or mules. Yeah. Right. Which is a big difference from like traveling with your entire family and small children with these giant wagons. Yeah. Right. So they make it to like, the South Pass area before most of, like, the wagon train crosses the mountains. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And one of the guys who rode with him from California, his name is James Kleiman, he continues east. So Hastings is like, gonna wait here and try and convince people to come with him. Kleiman continues east and he runs into his old friend, James Reed, at Fort Laramie. And they get to talking and Reed is like, oh, you've been on the Hastings cutoff. Like, how is it? Because it's all the buzz. Yeah, everybody's talking about this. And he's like, my friend, this is a terrible idea. The desert cannot sustain people. It cannot sustain animals. It is way too hard to cross the mountains. Like, this is a bad idea. Do not do it. Plenty of other people did listen to him because he's like going around spreading the word. Yeah. Don't take the Hastings cutoff. Plenty of other people changed their minds and either went to Oregon or they took the normal route through Fort Hall. But Reed is all excited about the Hastings cutoff because it's more direct. And he's like, obviously, this is going to save time. This is a great idea. Thousands of other people have done this, but clearly they're wrong. Right. I definitely know better. (laughs) They also met um, this other guy, Wales Bonnie who is also traveling from Oregon back to Independence. So he's traveling east. He has been given a letter from Hastings that he's been told to, like, show around to everybody. The letter says that, like, I'm here and I'm going to wait for anybody who wants to go with me. And, like, we'll all go together. I'll guide you along my new route. So Reed convinces the Donners, and several other families to turn southwest at (laughs) what is very dramatically called the parting of the ways, (laughs) 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 which is about a day after, like a day's travel from South Pass. So on July 19th, they turn southward towards the Hastings cutoff with about 70 people in total. This is like the real start of the Donner party. They choose George Donner, who is like the older of the Donner brothers as their kind of captain figure. And like, we're doing this thing. So chance number two to turn around. This reporter who had earlier- Literally every step is a chance to turn around. We (laughs) don't have to do this. (laughs) Right. This reporter who had like- at the beginning, when everybody left Missouri, been traveling with this kind of larger group that had included the Donners and the Reeds. Um, Edwin Bryant is his name. He had eventually become concerned about the slow pace they were taking. And so he had ridden ahead. And he was now riding as part of a group of like, single men who had sold their wagons and were just riding with mules and like whatever their mules can carry. So he and this new group that he was with decided to try the Hastings cutoff. So they turned south at Fort Bridger, which is in southwest Wyoming. This is like the last chance to do the cutoff. Yeah. This is where Hastings is trying to convince people. So Bryant decides to go, but he leaves several letters for the people who were in his former group, including one for James Reed, saying like, I'm going to do this, but I'm like a guy by myself on a mule. And like your situation is very different and you should not do this because it is way too dangerous for families with children and with wagons. So like I'm doing this, but you definitely shouldn't. He leaves them at the fort 
like leaves the letters at the fort and tells the guys who run the fort to like give these to the various people. The Donner Party arrives at the fort nine days later. So we're now at July 27th and they're like excited to meet Hastings, but Hastings is gone already. (laughs) He's like left with the other folks who he has managed to charm into doing this. I mean, I can see why, like, I can see why this would be appealing, right? Like, if you don't know and you just look at right. a map, yes, For sure. it seems more direct. For sure. And, like, you're already behind. You know weather is an mm-hmm. issue getting through the mountains. Like, mm-hmm. I can I, I can see why 70 people would be like, okay. Yeah. You know, like, sure. Let's give this a try. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I can see that. And the problem, though, is that. They have been told a couple of times now that this is a terrible idea and they should stop. Yeah, no. Right. That part is less forgivable. <laughs> right. And like literally every like there are other people whose names I have not mentioned, but like literally everyone who has any experience in this area of the cutoff is going around telling everyone who will listen, like, don't do this. You will die. This is terrible. Don't do it. You know, um, like, what is it? The, the talking hands from Labyrinth? Yeah. (laughs) The path you would take will lead to certain destruction. That's exactly what it is. Yes. It's that. But like (laughs) the Oregon Trail version back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. So it's true that they they don't know, but like also (laughs) you know, it's a bit of the initial instinct I can understand, but once everybody's like, yo, bro, no, no, Uh don't do this, like Yeah. Yeah. It is true, though, that Brian's letter was never delivered by the men who run the fort, because two years before this, a new shortcut had been discovered. And now this particular fort was off of the main trail, which is why it's on the Hastings cutoff now. Right. (laughs) Like they've already turned off the main trail. So they wanted people. It's in their best interest for people to start taking this cutoff. Yeah. So that people will start going by their fort again. So. When the Donners and, like, everyone else in the party arrive, they say nothing about the letters, definitely don't have any letters for anybody, and are like, this route is awesome. Even though neither of them have ever been anywhere near any of these places, they're like, there's tons of grass and water. Like, it's super easy traveling. This is going to save you hundreds of miles. This is a fantastic idea. You've definitely made the right choice, my friends. So people are people are trash. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we have a little everyone has like a little conference at this fort. And it's like, are we really doing this? I mean, and Reed again convinces everybody to stick to the new route, despite like all of these experienced people telling them that it was a bad idea. So like onward. (laughs) Six days after leaving the fort, they find a note left by Hastings at the entrance to Weber Canyon, which is a a canyon that runs through the Wasatoch Mountains that leads to Great Salt Lake. Yeah. The note says, don't go through this canyon because I just took my group through it and it was a fucking shit show. So when you get here, just stop and send somebody ahead to tell me and I'll come back. And, like, take you through a different way. I need you to be, like, a time lord so you can go back and actually write these letters in exactly that way. 
like I'm just picturing like it just like tacked up on the side of the mountain and you're like it was a fucking shit show that would be pretty awesome it would be fantastic that would be the best uh, so this is what they do they listen to Hastings and everybody like sets up camp in front of the mountains and Reed and two other guys Charles Stanton and William Pike ride ahead and they catch up with Hastings like beyond the canyon Hastings rides part way back with Reed and then <laughs> kind of stops and like gestures vaguely to a different route he's like Oh, you can go through uh, right over there. And he kind of like waves his hand somewhere <laughs> because he doesn't know because he's right. never taken any he's of these routes. Right? right. And he's like, you go through over there somewhere, but I got to go back to like lead those other wagons across the desert. This is the only time that any member of the Donner Party ever sees him. <laughs> like, this one exchange. <laughs> so he leaves. Reed makes it back to camp after four days, like, picking his way through the mountains. It's now August 10th. And they decide to follow, like, the way that he just came through the mountains. Yeah? Instead of the canyon. Despite increasing evidence that Hastings is a shithead like we're still gonna do this you know right he's like the wizard of oz right he's like the man behind the curtain he definitely it's, is I was, mm, it'll be fine <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be good bye right good luck <laughs> so they take this route that reed had found through the mountains but like no Certainly no wagons have ever been through here. It is possible that, like, individuals here and there had been through this. But, like, not, like, a large group of people, certainly not with wagons, right? So they literally have to, like, hack out a road through the mountains right. by hand. Yeah? Yeah. This takes two weeks to go the 35 miles through the mountain. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, all things in, that's not bad. Right. It's now August 22nd, though. So, like, right. we don't have that much time left before it's going to start snowing in the mountains, right. you know? And we still have 600 miles left to go. Fun fact, this route that they, like, hacked through the mountains, although, like, there's a slight change of course at the end, um, is the same one that's used by the Mormons the following year in 1847 when they are on their, like, migration to the Great Salt Lake. <laughs> At some point during this mountain misadventure, they are joined by the Graves family, who had also been convinced to, to try the Hastings cutoff. They have been even more behind than the Donners. They had left Missouri with the very last group in late May. So now the Graves have joined us and the Donner party is complete. So they get through the mountains and now the Great Salt Lake Desert is in front of them. Which is, this desert is right. essentially, like, a gigantic mud flat, but made of salt. <laughs> so right. there's no plants. There's no drinkable water. Although it, like, seeps up from the ground, making it very, like, muddy and hard to walk in, especially for animals pulling wagons. It had only ever been crossed a couple of times, and certainly never with any wagons. So, like, this is going to be awesome. The Donner Party find Hastings tracks, and they, like 
follow him through. This also, total shit show. Like, absolute disaster. It takes five and a half days for everybody to make it across. It's incredibly difficult for the wagons and the animals to travel across ground like this, which slows everybody down. Everyone gets all stretched out. Oh, yeah. No, and it's also when you're around salt water, like one of the problems if you're like lost at sea, right? All of that salt air. <laughs> yeah. Like Leaches dehydrates you more than if you were just <laughs> yeah. hanging out without water. So like, yeah, great. Fantastic. This is delightful. No right. potable water. And what is available is literally sucking the life force out of me. Uh-huh. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> right. This is... Onward. A great time. Like, yeah. <laughs> so several families, including both George Donner and James Reed, had to, like, abandon their wagons. And the Teamsters, like, drove the animals ahead so that they wouldn't die. And, like, hope you can come back for it later. Like, as the animals smelled water they bolted and so tons of them get lost and are wandering around the desert like it's a complete disaster they finally get to the western side of the desert and they spend about a week at pilot peak on the other side resting looking for their missing animals and like retrieving the wagons (laughs) drinking as much water as they can possibly find (laughs) right yeah (laughs) This whole, like, crossing of the desert was particularly hard on the animals. They're all now much weaker and much thinner. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, They lost 36 cattle in total. Most of them belonged to Reed. Aw. Yeah. Reed is left with one wagon, one ox, and one cow. The end. (laughs) They started out... about it, buddy. Yeah, they started out as, like, the richest family in this whole group. And now, like, they have very little left. George Donner and um, Kesseberg also each lost one wagon, one of the other families. And, like, <laughs> tensions are rising at this point. I would right? imagine. Yeah. <laughs> Just a yeah. bit. <clears throat> Especially with Reed. A lot of people blame this delay at Pilot Peak on Reed. Because mostly it was his cattle that were missing and his stuff that was left in the desert. So, like, they felt like they that he insisted on making everybody wait while he, like, looked for his missing cattle and, like, tried to retrieve his wagons unsuccessfully. And, you know, the day they leave Pilot Peak, there is a bit of a snowstorm. Nothing too serious. But now everybody is, like, kicking into panic mode because they're like... Holy shit, winter is like for real coming. So, where do we, we make now? a we're like September? Yeah, we're like the very end of August, early September ish. Early September, yeah. I was like, because the last date was Seven, in August. Yeah, so we're like trying to do them. Last day of August or first day of September, something like that. So, yeah, we make a list of like all of our supplies. And apparently, the situation is not great. Because, <laughs> right. <laughs> surprisingly enough. Um, So Reed decides that two men should ride ahead to Sutter's Fort, which like to review is modern day Sacramento (laughs) to get supplies and then come back. This is a terrible idea. Well, right. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like two dudes alone in the Sierra Nevada, like neither of them obviously know where the fuck they're going. Like this is really dangerous and it's a terrible idea. But, like, I I don't know. What else are we going to do? You know? 
So William McCutcheon. Go back to the and... salt flats? No, thank you. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, well, we can stay here in the desert or we can do this, you know. Right. Um, William McCutcheon and Charles Stanton were the only volunteers. So they're the two that go. Charles Stanton is um, traveling alone, although he's not like one of the employees. He's just like a single dude going west. And McCutcheon leaves his wife and his uh, very young daughter being like, take care of my wife and daughter, like swear to me that you will take care of them and I will go and do this for you. And everyone's like, yes, for sure. Got you covered. So they leave and like shrug, let's hope they make it type of an attitude, you know, and can also get back. <laughs> like that's, it's not just right, getting right. there. It's they need to then come back. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and we carry on. We come to the Ruby Mountains, which are in Nevada. Can I say, I like that this is switched to a we now. <laughs> like, now you're in it. You have we are in it together. Part of. Yes. Yeah. Everybody's you in and it together. I are in the Donner Reed party. Absolutely. And apparently we only join after they have fucked everything to hell. All right, cool. <laughs> so they're following, they've been following Hastings Trail, right? He had come through the Ruby Mountains on his way east through a pass that wagons couldn't get through. So when he came to the mountains, he turned south to, like, follow along them and look for a pass. As it turns out, if he had known the area better, he would have known this. They were very close to the northern tip of the range of the Ruby Mountains. So, like, could have just gone north and, like, skirted around the mountains altogether. But, like... He doesn't know the area because he doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. So the Donners follow this trail like south along the mountains for three days and one additional day that they spend resting inexplicably like chop chop people (laughs) before they find a pass on September 26th and they cross the Ruby Mountains reaching the Humboldt River and the main trail from Idaho. So the Hastings cutoff is complete. Yay. Great. <laughs> Two months after they started it. Right. <laughs> this, so much faster. Right. So this probably cost faster. them about a month of traveling compared to just like taking the normal trail. <laughs> right. So this all went really well. <laughs> right. It. Yeah. By this Nailed point, it. like they're like they're on the main trail, but there is no one else there. Right. Right. Everybody else is long gone. So they start following along the Humboldt River to the Sierra Nevada. Um, At this point, everyone is like at each other's throats and ready to cut a bitch, you know? So, (laughs) right, which I can imagine. Yeah. On October 5th, a fight breaks out between Reed and John Snyder, who is one of uh, the Graves' teamsters. Snyder apparently bashes Reed in the head with his ox whip and Reed responds by stabbing Snyder in the chest, killing him. (laughs) Everyone is very upset about this. And it's like, (laughs) you murdered him. No, it was self-defense. And like the party splits into two. So the decision is, everyone's like, okay, fine. Like, what are we going to do about this? The decision is that Reed will be banished. So he decides he's going to ride ahead and get supplies and return. Reed really likes this plan. Just as a general, like, mode. It's his go-to. It's it is. It's like, 
you know what we should do is send somebody ahead to get supplies. Right. <laughs> I've been out in the world. I've been doing some thinking. You know what we should do? We should send somebody send for supplies. <laughs> yeah. So this is what he decides to do. He and one of his teamsters, Walter Heron, with one horse between them, like set off to Sutter's Fort. They do eventually make it there, although they nearly starve to death um, on the trip. And they run into Stanton, actually, from the first set of guys that we sent to get supplies, right? Right. They run into Stanton, who is coming back east with supplies. So, like, that worked. Great bonus. McCutcheon, who was with Stanton, also made it to Sutter's Fort, but he is too sick to travel. So, like, he stayed at Sutter's Fort. Stanton, with a couple of Native American guides that... Sutter sent with him are like now heading east to try and bring some food to the Donner Party. After Reed's banishment, the Reed family, which now consists of his wife Margaret and their four fairly young children, had to abandon their last wagon and all of their stuff. So, like, they literally have nothing now and they're just like walking along with everybody else. They're homeless vagrants. They are, yeah. (laughs) And the animals at this point along the Humboldt River start being stolen by different tribes who were in the area. (laughs) Nice. So, for example, all of the Eddie's animals are stolen and they're forced to abandon their wagons and everything that they can't carry on their back. (laughs) Yep. 40 miles along the Humboldt, you reach the Truckee River, which is like the river that's going to lead you to the pass that will take you over the Sierra Nevada. But first, we have to cross another desert. So they, the wagon trains, like, again, this is part of the main path. So, like, everybody knows this. We're all, we all are prepared for this. We know that this is going to have to happen. Usually trains try to push across the desert at night. So that's what the Donners do also. Um, But the last part of it the last like 10 miles or so is particularly deep sand and like really difficult six more cattle die of fatigue trying to cross this desert but like so like all in these 70 people have like three oxen (laughs) right basically yeah yeah this is good it's great it's going great yeah (laughs) but like we're almost there we're almost there finally cross the desert reach the Truckee river and everyone's like Thank fuck. Trees, water again, life. Thank you, God. So somewhere along, so we start following the Truckee River, yeah, up into the mountains. And somewhere along the river, Stanton and the two Native American guides with him reach them with the food that he had brought. So, like, everybody's really excited about this, too. Party! Yeah. <laughs> he brought some funyuns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and finally, they come to the Sierra Nevada. This is the last obstacle we have to cross. It's only like a hundred miles to go. Everybody's like, "We can do it, guys." The Sierra Nevada. <laughs> like, if you've ever seen pictures of Yosemite National Park. That is in the Sierra Nevada. Like, that is the type of landscape that we're talking about. There's lots of, like, basically vertical mountain faces. And where it is situated is the perfect condition for, like, tons of snow. 
like multiple feet in a single storm. Right. So, for example, like where the Donners try to cross the Sierra Nevada in 1938, that location got 68 feet of snow in that one year. Like that is 21 meters of snow. That is like enough to almost bury a seven story building. Building. That is a lot of snow. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, not if you're the Donna Reed party, but like. Definitely not. (laughs) Just in general. Yeah. Yeah. What's their average per year? Do you know? It's around 15 to 20 feet on average. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So as they start crossing the mountains, the train breaks up into smaller groups, obviously, as families are traveling at different paces. Yeah. And by October 31st, the group in front reaches Truckee Lake, which now is called Donner Lake, <laughs> just like as an aside. <laughs> right. Um, this is just north of Lake Tahoe and about 35 miles west of Reno, just to like situate ourselves. This is like Starvation Cove. And- <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> And the lake is at the bottom of, like, an essentially vertical 1,000-foot-tall mountain. (laughs) Perfect. And the pass over is right at the top of that. Natch. Of course. (laughs) Where else would it be? Obviously. Yeah. So the ground, when they get there, is already, like, covered in snow. But it's not, like, it's not 20 feet of snow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it has already started to snow. Um, a group tried, it, huh? Do you know if it's like, is it frozen yet? So is it hard or is it like slushy, muddy? It's crap? still pretty slushy. Um, okay. yeah, Great. which is part Perfect. of the problem. So a group tries to better. like get up to the pass, but they can't not because the snow is like too deep to move, but because it's like too wet. Yeah. Yeah. And because they've been traveling all day and they like just don't have anything left for that day. Yeah. And they have three oxen. And <laughs> right. And like, they have three like they have literally nothing. starved oxen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, okay, it's fine. We're going to wait here for a day and we'll wait for the others to catch up. And then like we'll all cross the pass together and then we're home free, you guys. The next day, <laughs> while it's still snowing, but not like. Not like a blizzard, but like, you know, nice snowfall. Yeah. Yeah. Another group tries to get over the pass. So this is the Reeds, the Eddies, the Graves, Stanton, and the Native American guides, and Lewis Kesselberg. And others decide to wait. So the Fosters and the Breens, like, are like, we're just going to wait for the Donners. Like, we're tired. We'll see you guys there. But the animals are so starved at this point and like not used to snow also not this kind of snow anyway so they don't handle the snow well the wagons have to be abandoned and like load up the animals but the animals are like although they're used to like hauling wagons they're not used to like bags of shit on them so they Mm -hmm. are like nervous and unfamiliar with this and everybody's arguing about like what to take and what we leave and so all of this we can't get to the summit that day. So they're like, okay, we'll rest just here, like below the summit, and we'll cross tomorrow. <laughs> and that's just in my head, like the entire, like I'm playing like a movie of this in my <laughs> right. head. And for the entire movie, it's got the like, 
the clock uh-huh. at the bottom. Yeah. Like on 24, just like ticking down <laughs> as they're like, don't worry about it. Yeah. We'll go tomorrow. Like, <laughs> it'll be boop, fine. Boop, boop. And it's just a countdown to cannibalism. Like, it's just. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that night, as they're like waiting just below the summit to cross the next day, there's an enormous snowstorm that literally buries them. Like, the story goes that Lewis Casabird wakes up in the middle of the night feeling like he can't breathe, like something is pushing down on his chest. And he, like, sit, like, bolts upright and realizes that it was snow pushing down on his chest, looks around, can't see anybody because they are all completely buried under the snow. So he starts shouting and, like, trying to wake people oh. up and everyone else, like, pops up out of the snow. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So... They have to go back down the mountain. Yeah. Back down uh, to the yeah. lake. And now they're stuck there until spring. <laughs> so this camp is at an elevation of about 6,000 feet above sea level. That's about 1,800 meters. And yeah, like I said, average is like about 15 feet of snow a year. So this is like some pretty serious conditions. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, especially because it's not. There's not like a cabin by the lake. You know what I mean? Like it's and they don't have anything left because right. piece by piece they've had to jettison all of their shit. So yes. like And they themselves cool. have been walking for like two hundred miles right. and have crossed multiple deserts. Like, yeah, everybody is tired and like not in great health, you know? Around this same time, like this first massive snowstorm, Reed and McCutcheon who, like, remember, was sick at Sutter's Fort, and that's why he didn't mm-hmm. come back with Stanton. But he's recovered right. now. So Reed and McCutcheon leave Sutter's Fort to, like, relieve the party. Although Sutter tries to warn them that, like, the snows are going to be bad, you guys. Like, this is maybe not a great idea. And, yes, eventually they have to turn back around before the summit and, like, go back to Sutter's Fort. There actually was already a cabin at the lake. It had been built by a guy a couple of years before, um, but had not been taken care of, of course. So it's like decaying and falling apart. Okay. It's a start, though. I'll take it. It is. I know there was a cabin. And the Breens are like dibs. (laughs) That is ours. So the Breens take that cabin. (laughs) The Murphys build a cabin for themselves. And the Graves and the Reeds, like combine forces and build another cabin. So we have three cabins for all of these people. Everybody else, like, finds space somewhere in one of these three. Except Louis Kesselberg, who, by all accounts, was kind of an asshole. And he is like, absolutely not. I will sort out my own shelter. And he builds himself this little, like, lean-to against the side of the Breen's cabin, which is like, a terrible that's solution. <laughs> yeah, that's ridiculous. But like, okay, dude, whatever. <laughs> I don't so, need you. I just need like a wall of your cap. Shut up. <laughs> right, exactly. He like strings a blanket between like the ground and the wall of their cabin and is like, ta-da, shelter. Yeah. So the Donners, like are not at the lake with everybody else. George Donner's wagon had broken an axle about seven miles before the lake. 
at next to a creek called Alder Creek. And Jacob Donner had stopped to help his brother fix the axle. So they were both stuck there when the snows came. And they tried to also build cabins, but then the giant blizzard or a- another giant blizzard hit and buried absolutely everything. So they were like, this is not going to work. We need some sort of shelter like from the blizzard immediately. So they built what are called tents usually, but like in reality <laughs> are just blankets like propped up with tree branches, right? Like that's the only shelter they have. <laughs> right. So there are 81 people in total trapped in the mountains. About three quarters of them-ish are at the lake. But because of the nature of these settlement groups, about half of them, no, I'm sorry, over half of them are under the age of 18. About a quarter of them are under the age of four. (laughs) And there are six, like, straight up infants. So 81 people, but like when all of them, like when there are so many children, that's not a lot of like people who can do labor. Yeah, exactly. And also like that's a hardcore drain on your Mm -hmm. resources. Exactly. Exactly. Like like they're not contributing, but also they need to eat. Like you suck. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And... Right away, they get an introduction to what the rest of their winter is going to be like. The first time it storms, the, the first time it storms, it snows for eight days straight without stopping. And everyone is like, oh, fuck, this is going to be terrible. <laughs> well, shit. OK. Right. <laughs> when it finally stops snowing on November 12th, 15 of them try again for the summit. Like, on foot. We're not fucking around with the animals or the wagons anymore. We're just, like, got to get the fuck out of here. Right? Right. No, that's fair. So 15 of them are like, let's go. But the snow is 10 feet deep because, again, it's been snowing for eight days. (laughs) So they have to turn around pretty quickly. A week later, on November 19th, another group of 22 tried again with mules. And they did get to the top. But the mules couldn't continue. The snow was too soft, and so they couldn't walk, and they were too tired. And so they all also have to turn around and go back down. So they got to the top, and then they turned the mules into sleds, and then they just, like, (laughs) rode them down the other side. And that is why we learn about the Donner Party today. (laughs) Right. The end. (laughs) No, sadly not. Nope. Um, So they get back down, and... At this point, everyone is like, okay, for real, like, we need to decide what we're doing about this. So basically, everybody kills any animals that are still left alive. And everybody starts trying to hunt. November 26th, another huge snowstorm, which lasts until December 3rd, and buries, yeah, (laughs) so that's what, seven, eight days? (laughs) Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And buries any animals, like, if any animals were still left alive, hadn't been slaughtered, like... The one. The one animal that is left. (laughs) They're definitely buried by the snow now. And the snow is too deep to be able to, like, find where they are, you know? So, like, all of those animals, any animals that were, like, outside still, gone. Disappeared. And then there were none. (laughs) Yeah, no. So, like... like 
early December, no more animals. (laughs) All the animals are dead. But like, and a surprisingly, like a distressingly small number of them (laughs) are dead because of food reasons, you know, like are dead and have been made into food for people to eat. Like a distressingly low number. Well, because they needed them. But like once they're dead, then they're like, mm, ox jerky. Right? Well, no, at this point in the camp, that's what I mean. Like and a distressingly no low number of animals like made it to the camp to be slaughtered. <laughs> oh, oh, gotcha. And yeah. like yeah. cooked and dried for food for the rest of the winter. Like everybody is already starting to starve. And it's only the beginning of December, you know? <laughs> and also, like, whatever's left, whatever animals are left that have made it there are, like, so skinny. That yes. <laughs> there's going to be a lot of meat to eat anyway. Like, Correct. Take whatever you can get, but, like... Correct. What you would normally think of yeah. as, like... As food? A yeah, butchered oxen. So like, <laughs> no, no. Some marrow. <laughs> some skin you can, like, chew on. Yeah, yeah. So, like, many of them are already too weak from starvation, from the beginning signs of starvation, to do things like gather or chop wood, you know? Because in order to get firewood, of course, you have to, like, go chop down a tree (laughs) and then chop it up into pieces, right? Right. And you've got to manage to do that in 10 feet of snow. Uh Uh-huh. Like, on top of everything else. It's exhausting to begin with, but... For sure. And then once you have chopped down the tree, the tree falls through the 10 feet of snow. So you have to then like retrieve it (laughs) from 10 feet below you to like, like it's a whole thing, you know, (laughs) it's a whole fucking thing. (laughs) Like nothing about this whole process is easy. Yeah. That's the tagline to the Donner party movie (laughs) that we make. It's going to be like the Donner party. It's a whole whole thing. So the first death happens on December 15th. This is the first death, like, at the camp. There have been deaths before this along the trail. I have not mentioned them because, like, I just can't talk about everything. I'm sorry, guys. But, like... (laughs) Well, no, but also, like, we had mentioned people right along the trail. Like, people got dysentery. People got scarlet fever. Whatever. Like, death happens. It's the 19th century. Deal with it. For sure. So the first death is one of the employees of the Reeds. His name is Bayless Williams. Dies on December 15th. The next day, December 16th, a party that they name the Forlorn Hope, (laughs) who is made up of mostly younger people who are still, like, fairly healthy and strong, they set out to, like, (laughs) I bet you can guess, (laughs) go get supplies and return. Go get supplies and then come back. (laughs) Right. So the Forlorn Hope is made up of 17 people, 10 men, 5 women, and 2 boys, ages 13 and 10. Many of these, obviously, are parents who have to, like, leave their young children behind. So William Eddy leaves his wife and two children. William and Sarah Foster leave their children. Amanda McCutcheon, who, like, whose husband is in California right now, leaves her children And Harriet Pike, her husband was one of those who had died earlier on the trail. So she also leaves her kids like with no parents. So they leave and they're like going to try to get to California. And they get criticized, like not just them, but also like down the line, people making similar decisions get criticized like both then and now sometimes for like 
walking away from their children, basically. But their choices are stay and watch them die or leave them now. Or try to do something about it. And hope you can save them later, right? Yeah. So, like, I get it. (laughs) I mean, if I'm not leaving, which, by the way, I would have been... Like on the first train out of there, I would have been right, like, yeah. "Nope, fuck this noise." <laughs> Good luck. Um, oh yeah, I would have been like the what I find. What is it? It's a McCutcheon and Stanton. What's his name? Stanton. So like Stanton has no ties to any of these fuckers. Correct. And he's like, and he has come back anyway, <laughs> and he actually came back. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's impressive. I know. So right? like, good on him. But like, I would have been on yeah the first train out of Dodge, but. <laughs> If I'm not, if I'm left in the camp, yeah. like, now you're taking people who are actually active and fit enough to do mm-hmm. work and gather and grab trees out of 10 right. feet of snow. And, and they're leaving. leaving me with your fucking children on top yeah. of it. Like, yeah. I am pissed. I am pissed <laughs> at that point. I get it, but right. I'm mad. So, right. like, yeah. I think those people get to criticize them, and I don't think anyone else gets to. <laughs> like, that's my... Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> Like, unless you have been there, uh-huh. I don't want to hear it. Like, Yeah, totally. Totally. We're all doing our best here. Like, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a terrible decision to have to make, I'm sure, as a parent. But, like, it's an understandable one, I think. Right. And, like, I mean, yes, I guess we, we could all go Sacagawea on this and, like, strap them to our back and, like, try to, like. <laughs> but that also seems that like that seems even less likely to succeed at that right point because exactly exactly then they're slowing you down so yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so each member of the forlorn hope takes with them a blanket or a quilt like no extra clothes no sort of like tent shelter situation right. they all of them together there is one rifle one hatchet and a couple of pistols uh. a little bit of dried beef some sugar and some coffee. They think that this is going to be provisions for six days with like super strict rationing. I feel like that's being optimistic, but like, I suppose it could be a, your ration for the day is like a finger long piece of dried jerky (laughs) with one sugar cube and like one teaspoon of coffee. Like maybe then it lasts for six days for 17 people, but otherwise no. (laughs) I mean, also, like, they just have to believe it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> For I'm, sure. I'm like, There's, this is what we can afford yeah. to send with you. Yeah. So, you know what? I'm sure it's enough for, like, a week. You'll yeah. be good. And they're like, sounds Great. reasonable. Yes. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> yeah. A certain amount of um, necessary self-delusion has to happen from this point on in this story. <laughs> Do they have things like flint and tinder and that kind of stuff with them i assume so yes they are like able to light fires yes but so they set out december 16th but the first day um charles Berger and one of the boys who don't have snowshoes everybody else in the party has snowshoes they have to turn back because like they just can't do it without the snowshoes so now we're down to 15 people They make it over the pass and they start down, but like, it's so miserable. There are no tents at night, so they just like huddle around a fire. There are constant snowstorms. They're always wet and cold. There's barely any food. Like, it's terrible. Stanton one morning is just like, 
and I'm out, you guys. He, like, sits by his fire, smoking his pipe, as everybody else gets up and walks away. And everyone else is like, dude, are you coming? He's like, I'll catch up with you later. Obviously, that night, he never shows up to camp. And the next day, they wait for him. But, like, he doesn't come, clearly. And no one is strong enough at this point to go look for him. So, like, they just leave him. And in the spring, rescuers, like find his bones <laughs> so yeah i was hoping he just was like and i'm out and just like db cooper in his way <laughs> sadly shows up now yeah sadly now yeah he returned to like help these people who he had no ties I, yeah. to and then died yeah i like him i i mean i like that he went back i don't yeah. actually know anything about him but i <laughs> i respect that yeah no he, he seems like he was a stand-up dude yeah for sure So on December 24th, it's now been three or four days without, like, any food. Their food has been completely gone. And everyone starts to be like, okay, for real, what are we going to do about this? Like, we will not make it out of these mountains if we don't get something to eat. And, like, we can't hunt anything. Like, we've been trying unsuccessfully. So, like, somebody's going to have to die so that the others can eat that person. Like, who wants to volunteer? Someone... It's Christmas, so this is a very like Jesus moment, right? <laughs> right absolutely, like... absolutely. Someone proposes drawing like a lottery situation, drawing lots to decide who would be killed and eaten. But not everyone agrees to this idea, so like, it... shocking, <laughs> it gets dropped. It is also okay. apparently yes. <laughs> Flip side of this, uh-huh. if 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 we don't want to be an extremist here right. of who wants to like. <laughs> get murdered now this makes it more complicated because it is in fact the 19th century and they don't have you know medicine yet but like (laughs) right (laughs) could you just take like an arm like that would sustain a couple people for a couple days if you just like take my arm yeah yeah and then we could cauterize that and move on with our lives (laughs) and then we can revisit this question like in a few days when the arm runs out in two days (laughs) when the arm runs out and we can see where we're at at that point you know what i mean like I mean, yeah, as far as I know, that's never an option that is discussed. But like, sure, why not? That also could solve the problem. <laughs> that's very me. Guys, guys, wait, 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 wait. Before we murder anybody. <laughs> Before you stab me to death to eat me. Uh, I had a thought. I had a thought. Yeah. <laughs> also proposed is that two men have a duel with pistols. And then the loser gets eaten. But this idea is also dropped. (laughs) That's basically option one, to be fair. (laughs) Right. (laughs) December 25th, a blizzard starts that strands them for three days. So, like, this sounds so awful. What they do is they sit in a circle around a fire. Although eventually the wind is so strong that it blows out the fire and they can't get it started again. And they, like, stretch blankets over their heads. And they sit there with no food for three days. <laughs> right. And there's 14 of them at this point? Correct. Yes. Yes. Because we got down to 15 and then Stan yeah. was like, I'm yeah. just going to sit here and smoke my pipe till I die. <laughs> Peace out. Right. <laughs> yes. So 14 of you up in the mountains with like a thin and shirt <laughs> and like thinky. boots that are worn out completely. <laughs> Blanket stretched over your heads, 
no fire. Yeah, you know it smells fantastic under those blankets. Like under that blanket. Like, mm, oh god. <laughs> and like the blanket's crusty because it's like uh-huh. been wet yep. and frozen. Yep. Forever. Yeah. No. That's yeah. A good. Sounds that's nice. Awful. And then to make it even better, on Christmas night, Antonio, last name unknown. <laughs> He's just Antonio. He's like Cher. <laughs> right, yeah. His last name, like, is not in any of the records. No one knows, like, what he did, like, what his job was or who he was or anything about him, which I, like... His job was makes to Makes me get kind eaten, of sad. Is what I'm sensing. <laughs> Antonio dies, and so does Franklin Graves. So, like, Merry Christmas, everybody. And... It's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> And then Patrick Dolan, who's like one of the Breen's friends, loses his goddamn mind, strips off his coat, hat, and boots, and runs away into the storm. That's not an uncommon thing, actually. Yeah, I've read that that's like maybe a symptom of severe hypothermia. Hypothermia. Yeah, it's a hypothermic um, reaction. Like it's people feel like they're too hot so they yeah, take off yeah. their clothes and they run around and then they for sure die of hypothermia <laughs> right so they like go after him and like wrestle him back into the circle but he obviously died shortly thereafter right and also died during the storm is lemuel murphy who was the like the other boy he's the 13 year old who okay. left with them so, so now like we're down to 10 right so like imagine like under the blanket Circle of 14 people. And now four of them are dead. Like, four of them are corpses. Awesome. This is fantastic. But at least now they have corpses and they don't have to murder anybody. Right? Right. And I was going to say, like, the ratio now of people to available meat is actually pretty favorable at that point. For sure. It's not bad. So, like, let's pause for a second and talk about cannibalism really quickly. There are, like, many different classification schemes for cannibalism, but, like, So basically anything you read is going to have different types. But essentially there's like ritual cannibalism, which includes like endocannibalism, which is like your own group. So this, for example, is the Wari who ate the dead bodies of their in-laws to release their in-laws spirits and exocannibalism, which is the other group. So this is like prisoners of war. Yeah. You like intimidate or like punish enemies. Eating the heart of your enemy to gain their strength. Exactly. You like steal their life force. So this is like, yes, the Aztecs eating their enemies and that sort of thing. Pathological cannibalism. So this is your serial killers, your Jeffrey Dahmers. And then there's survival cannibalism. So like, that's obviously what this is. That's also, we talked about it when I talked about the Franklin expedition, like same thing. Nobody here is like, excited about this prospect right right like can't wait to eat me some antonio no that's not and like apart from nobody's jazzed no no apart from the like psychological and emotional barriers to this it's also just not that easy to like chop up a human body right especially if you were at the stage of starvation where you've been like reduced to eating corpses um and you can't even start a fire so like as soon as they die their body is going to start to freeze so now we're at hacksaw territory you know i mean correct correct like a frozen body Yeah. yeah generally in situations of survival cannibalism which is like 
less uncommon than you probably think it is, historically speaking. <laughs> um, it's generally, if these people exist, like out group individuals, right? Like the strangers. No one's going to be eating like your family member if you can eat that stranger over there first, right? Right. And typically the face is like disfigured somehow or the head is perhaps cut off to like, again, try and get over one of those like psychological, emotional. To like dehumanize it. Yeah, exactly. Much like, I mean, to be fair, like most people now feel that way about any meat that they're eating. Like we don't butcher our own animals. And if you had to like look a cow in its (laughs) deep, soulful, sad little eyes and Uh then kill it and eat it like you would struggle with that but we just go to the For store sure. and get pre-butchered packaged meat in a plastic thing that yes. doesn't look like an animal anymore yes. like it's not surprising the nutrient like the more nutrient rich the part of the body is like those get eaten first so like blood heart liver things like that are often eaten first and then like pieces of flesh are taken from like the torso or the limbs and like usually either cooked or dried or smoked, like depending on what your resources are. And this is all referring just to survival cannibalism. Correct. Yes. That's a lot of work. Like, listen, it is. (laughs) Listen, friend, if we crap, I mean, I'm not going to eat you anyway. Like if you died in a plane crash and we were the only ones, like I'm not making it out alive. Cause God knows I'd be like, fuck it. Right. But like, if it's you and I and, like, a person we know, right? Uh, I don't want to put that much work into it. Like, if I have to eat someone, <laughs> I just want to get it over with. Like, I don't want to. That's a fair point of view. You can also eat it raw. Yes. But, like. Uh, I mean, I would cook it because right. reasons. But, right. like, <laughs> just, like, let's just get this done. Like, I don't want to sit and be like, hmm, what is the most nutrient-rich part of Delila? <laughs> but, like, I, no. No. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. If things get really desperate, then you start seeing, like, bone marrow and the brain and the lungs and other organs and things like this being eaten, right? So, parentheses on cannibalism closed. Now we're going to start eating people. After the storm passes. (laughs) We have finally, the timer has run out. The little 24. (laughs) On Christmas, nonetheless, which I think is absolutely. (laughs) After the storm passes, they decide, like, Murphy, the boy who died, and Franklin Graves both have relatives, like, with this group. (laughs) So we're left with the choices of Dolan or Antonio. Dolan is eaten first. And then... The other bodies are, like, cut up and cooked or dried to, like, carry the meat with them. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I thought it was going to be Antonio because he doesn't even get a last name. So I just kind of (laughs) figured. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, nobody, like, talks about why they decided to eat Dolan first. But Dolan died after Antonio. That might have been part of why. I'm not sure. So now they have a small store of food to take with them when they leave this camp. Right. Which they do on December 30th. And they keep wandering, like, generally west, but they eventually run out of food again. So they start eating the rawhide strings that they used to make their snowshoes with. Like, shit is bleak. Okay, but, like, you need those. (laughs) Right. But, like, again, we are faced with the choice of, like, murdering somebody or this. So... We're putting off murdering someone, I suppose. <clears throat> ah, okay. We're just delaying it for a minute. For the moment, anyway. Because... Well, wait, so I'm sorry. So huh. they 
They have four people. They eat Dolan. They cut up the they other like, three. One of them is a boy, as a thirteen-year-old boy, though. So he's like not as big okay, as so the others. Like two and a half people, right? Worth of food. And, and I'm not run out sure. In like a week. There's only ten of them. Jesus Christ. I think it's probably more like. Eh, maybe like a week and a half, perhaps. Yeah. Something like that. That seems excessive. I feel like that's on them at that point. <laughs> I feel like if you had two and a half whole people to munch uh. on for ten, like, you guys. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so one night, Luis and Salvador, who are the two Native Americans that, like, had been had come with Stanton. Yeah. Right. To lead him back. Yeah. They are, like... These people are crazy and are going to kill us and eat us. So they like vanish one day. <laughs> and they keep walking. Still no food. Finally, on January 5th, Jay Fostick, who is Franklin Graves' son in law, dies. And so, like, now we have some food again. They have at this point been walking for three weeks. Then they come across the tracks left by Luis and Salvador. They follow them. And find them, like, collapsed and almost dead, but not quite. So Foster shoots them so that they can be eaten. And now we have crossed the murder bridge. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, we definitely have. (laughs) Eventually, they, like... we're down to seven. Yeah, we're down to seven. seven. Eventually, we they like wander down out of the snow and they come across a Native American Native American village who like give them some food. (laughs) And even with this, though, only William Eddy has the strength to like continue on. So like a couple of guys from the village take him to Johnson's Ranch, which is the first like American settlement west of the mountains. He reaches it on. January 17th. So exactly one month and one day after they left. (laughs) And yes, seven people made it out. People from the ranch then like go and retrieve the others and bring them back. Two of the men and all five women and neither of the boys. Like those are the ones who make it out. Oh, that is interesting that all the people who died were men. Yeah. Yeah. See? Meanwhile. I know what's up. (laughs) It's true. Meanwhile, back at camp. December 20th, four days after the forlorn hope left, <laughs> people have started to die at Alder Creek. So we have like the lake camp and then the Alder Creek camp, right? So at Alder Creek, Jacob Donner dies. And then three of the Donner employees, Joseph Reinhardt, Sam Shoemaker, and James Smith all die. At this point with deaths and like the departure of the forlorn hope, we have 61 people left. Now two-thirds of them are children. And yeah, we have a serious labor shortage. (laughs) Great. Yeah, since adults are leaving and dying. So, like, we're basically all children now. On the other hand, you have a very nice source of, like, the human equivalent of veal, I guess. (laughs) I feel like their parents probably didn't see it that way. But, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure they'd frown on it. But, like, listen... Hey, you do what you got to do, man. <laughs> exactly. But then you definitely know who the favorite was. <laughs> True story. <laughs> They're now reduced to eating animal hides. So what they do apparently is they like 
burn the hair off, scrape it, like scrape off the burnt bits with a knife, mm-hmm. and then boil it down into what reportedly is basically like this paste that tastes and has the consistency of glue that like oh, they can barely yeah. choke down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It oh. sounds awful. But this is literally like basically all they, they have, have to eat. Yeah. The Breens do still have some meat because they made it up into the mountains with more animals than anybody else. But like they also have five kids. <laughs> like so there's seven of them. So they are not super inclined to share. <laughs> and everybody's like divvied up to their own little respective cabins. Right. So like this exactly. doesn't seem to be like a we'll all make it together point of view. No, definitely not. <laughs> this is a but anybody except on your own bitches. Is now dead. So <laughs> Right. <laughs> Yeah, and, and nobody has any energy left anyway. Like, barely anybody is leaving their cabins. All of the cabins are, like, totally infested with, like, lice and vermin. Like, it's super gross. Sure. Super, super gross. On January 26th, Louis Kasseberg Jr., who was actually, like, born on the trail, so he's only a couple of months old, he dies. Then, January 31st, Landrum Murphy, another one of the Murphy kids he's the oldest son he dies and now the deaths like really start to pick up there's one every couple of days so february 2nd the mccutcheon baby dies february 4th the eddie baby february 7th eleanor eddie the mother february 8th august spitzer february 9th mitt elliott like yeah now we're really dropping like flies you know and we can't like nobody can dig dig graves first of all right because they don't have the energy. But even if they did, like, there's too much snow to reach the ground. And the ground is frozen now. Right. But even if they could, the ground is frozen anyway. So, like, <laughs> they take the bodies outside and they, like, cover them up with snow if and when the people in the cabin, like, have the energy to do so. So the bodies would very often sit in the cabins for, like, a couple of days before somebody was like, I guess let's Aww, do something about that. <laughs> shove them out the front door. Like, at least just give them a nudge. Yeah. Yeah. So it's now like early February. Yeah. Which is around the same time that the Forlorn Hope gets to Sutter's Fort. That's like mid-January, mid-late January. And once they get there, a team of about 12 men, plus William Eddy, who's like one of the Forlorn Hope members, right? They're like going to go rescue some people. They leave February 2nd. At around the same time, Reed is riding around northern San Francisco in, like, what is now the San Francisco area, trying to raise money, both from the American Navy, because, like, I don't think I said this earlier, but this is in the middle, like, at the very beginning, really, of the Mexican-American War. (laughs) So, like, California is part of Mexico and is technically at war with America. So, like, there's a lot of American military around California at this time. So Reed is trying to raise money from the American Navy and from like private citizens to mount a a relief mission. He learns like around this time of the Forlorn Hope's arrival and like the mission that just left on February 2nd. And he's like, awesome. This is great. He raises um, about $1,700 to like buy supplies. And... So the first relief mission, the one with Eddie, he gets sent back, like, immediately. 
There are some animals who are too exhausted after six days of like, they're not even at the snow yet. They're like struggling through like the winter mud and flooding rivers and that sort of thing. And everyone else is like, listen, Eddie, we appreciate what you're trying to do here, but like take these animals and just go back with them. All right, please. (laughs) So he gets sent back. Then February 14th, like up as they're up in the mountains, three more men refuse to continue. So like now we're down to seven rescuers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They do eventually make it. They reach the lake on February 18th. And they look around and they go, Jesus Christ. Well, they think everybody is dead because they see nothing and no one. And so they're like, Oh, God, we're too late. So they start to call out and eventually people sort of like start to emerge from the cabins. Um, And they feed everybody because nobody has eaten in like, I don't even know how long at this point. And a smaller group of rescuers continues out to Alder Creek where the Donners are. Right. And they like sit down with George Donner. They're like, "Okay, George, real talk. (laughs) We got to leave right the fuck now or we're going to be trapped by this blizzard. But of course, many people by now are too weak from hunger to walk out. So they're like, listen, there are more rescue parties that are being organized. They don't know if that's true. And they also say like the like they say that William Eddy from the Forlorn Hope made it because like that's how they're here. Right. But they say that they don't know what happened with the others because no one wants to be like, oh, like these seven people made it but they had to eat the people who did it. You know, no one wants to say that. <laughs> right. Like real talk can only be so real in that situation. <laughs> like, Right. <laughs> right. So they're like, I mean, Eddie made it, but like, I, I don't, I don't know about the others. Not sure. Let's go ask him. <laughs> me. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Betsy Donner, who is Jacob's wife, Jacob died already. Decide, she decides that she has to stay. Four of her seven children are too small to walk out. So she keeps her oldest son to help. And she sends the next couple of kids who are like 12 and 10. George Donner is too sick to go. Mostly because when his wagon axle broke, which is like what stranded them at Alder Creek to begin with, right. he hurt his hand somehow. And it's gotten badly infected in the time since then. Tamsin Donner, his wife, is fine. I mean, as fine as anybody is in this circumstance anyway. (laughs) Relatively speaking. Right. But she is going to stay with him. She's like, I'm absolutely not leaving my husband. So instead, she sends her 12 and 14 year old daughters and she keeps her three like little, little kids with her. So like we've got several Donner kids as part of this party. The rescuers cut down a tree for them and leave them like a little bit of food, like what they can spare, which apparently is a teacup of flour, two biscuits, and a few small pieces of dried beef. The end. So nothing. <laughs> they leave them nothing. Right. They leave them like half a meal. <laughs> right. And then they leave again, like after only being there, I don't know, an hour or two. And They say that George Donner told them at this point that, like, if no one else comes with food really fucking soon, we're going to have to start eating the bodies. And everyone's like, I mean, 
you shrug. Yeah. <laughs> yes. True statement. <laughs> and they're like, good luck with that situation. We got to bounce. So now I kind of wish I hadn't let them sit rotting in the cabin for three days before I put them out in the snow. Like, guys, <laughs> right? <laughs> you got to think about proper food storage. So they take the Donner kids who are coming back to the lake camp with them, and they spend four days there before they leave again. So they leave again on February 22nd. By now, most of the adults are either dead or gone or too sick to travel. And someone has to stay to take care of, like, the little kids. So this group is mostly made up of older children. Yeah, so the Breens send two of their kids. Elizabeth Graves sends her oldest three children Lavina Murphy sends two of her older kids and one of her grandkids. Louis Kasselberg can't walk because he hurt his foot at some point and like it's still too fucked up to walk. But his wife leaves at this point with their baby and Margaret Reed and all four of her kids go. So this is a group of 23, most of them under the age of 14. The youngest, though, are three years old. So like they obviously have to be carried. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. That's no good. Yeah. The first day out, though, they have to send back two of the younger Reed kids, Patty and Thomas, who are eight and three. So one of the rescuers, like, takes them back to camp and leaves them with the Breens and then, like, like goes back. We gave it a good go. <laughs> These ones are defective. <laughs> right. Bye. <laughs> Best of luck. <laughs> um, after three days of walking, John Denton, who's one of the Donner's Teamsters, he, like, can't anymore and he's like listen just just leave me please so they build him a fire and they leave him some wood and a blanket and a little bit of food and they leave and he is found there the fire melts the snow and so next to him is the body of stanton (laughs) right yeah also sitting around the same fire he's like cool cool yeah yeah he also is found like frozen sitting there weeks later by rescuers yeah Yeah. um also along the way like philippine kesselberg's daughter three-year-old daughter ada dies one night so this is like i feel really bad for this woman actually her husband was apparently a total asshole but her like it was her infant son that just died yeah the one who was born on the trail right Now her daughter has also died. And apparently her daughter, like, had been born a twin. But the twin sister had also died when they immigrated from Germany to America. And her husband had stayed at the camp and, like, is probably also going to die. Like, right? I feel really bad for that poor woman. Uh, I mean, listen. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone in that party had kind of a rough go of it. Oh, for sure. For sure. After five days, all the food had run out and they were like, quote unquote, cooking rawhide shoestrings. And like one of the rescuers apparently was wearing buckskin pants. The children that were like a little bit tattered on the bottom and the children were going and like peeling very small pieces of his pants off and like putting them in their mouths to like, yeah, try and have something to suck on. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So shortly after they leave, so they leave on February 22nd. And on February 25th, Patrick Breen's, like, writes in his diary that Lavina Murphy came to him and said, like, listen, if the wolves haven't gotten there first, I'm going to go get, like, one of the bodies out from the snow and eat it. Because, like, 
we can't do this anymore. Because this is stupid. (laughs) Right. So this is like, you know, late February-ish is like when the people at the camp start to cannibalize the dead. At the same time, there's another relief mission in the works, though. This is Reed's mission. And he, with all of the money that he raised, bought like all of these supplies. So he's got like flour and sugar and tobacco and all sorts of tools and clothes and shoes and blankets and all sorts of great stuff. And the people at the actual camp held off on cannibalism that long, which I actually, all things in, I think is pretty impressive. Right. Um, I agree. Yeah. Depending on your point or stupid, depending on your point of view. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, that took a while, so that's... Definitely. They, I mean, they did wait, like, as long as they possibly could, you know, for sure. Like, a relief mission shows up before they even... Definitely. Yeah, yeah. And the relief exactly. mission is like, here's a teacup of flour. And they were like, you know what? <laughs> Fuck you. Right. I mean, I would say, based on what I've read, which, like, have been a couple of things, but obviously not that much, like, it seems like the relief mission having left is kind of the impetus for this decision because they're like they have sent all of these people ahead right to like get supplies and come back and like finally somebody does and yes the food that they give them is like a teacup of flour (laughs) and so I feel like a lot of them were like holding out hope for these relief missions and once it materialized and they were like oh okay I see how it is <laughs> then oh. they were you know then they made the decision it seems like they were me. like oh Santa's not real Got it. <laughs> right yeah <laughs> yeah burn it to the ground like okay okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> what are you gonna go through so relief mission two organized by Reed he like buys all of this stuff in like it's not San Francisco yet, but like what will become San Francisco. And he sends it upriver with a boat to Sutter's Fort. The boat is delayed by like winter conditions and weather. They have to like get out and pull it along the river. But Reed and has been like, Reed isn't on the boat. He's like running around raising men to go with him. So he and like some guys he's found who have agreed to come leave Johnson's ranch with like not all of the stuff because all of the stuff is back on the boat but like with some food at least they leave on February 23rd so like this is the day after the first rescue party has left like the lake camp right the lake camp yeah on the 26th Reed meets two rescuers from that first party who had been sent ahead to get more supplies. (laughs) And he gets an update. So he's like, finds out who's still alive back at the camp and like finds out who they have with them. And he sends two of his men ahead because like, again, that group doesn't have any food anymore. He sends two of his men ahead with some food. And the next day, they all meet up together. All the survivors are like, in really rough shape. They're apparently chanting bread, bread, bread. <laughs> and okay. Yeah. <laughs> Reed is reunited with his wife and two of his four kids who are in this group. Yeah. Right. And learns that everybody else, including the other two of his kids, are still trapped. So he like immediately continues on with his group. Sadly, one of the children, William Hook, when Reed's party ma- meets up with his, like, gorges himself and then dies the next day. Yep. Yep. 
See, go back and listen to our starvation episode. It's not a good plan. (laughs) Exactly. I know you want to, but like, don't do it. Also, like, bless them because, and I know they didn't eat this at the time, but I would be like, pizza, pizza, pizza. (laughs) Like, that would be right. Right. In the absence of pizza, though, bread is not bad, you know? (laughs) Anything. Food. Sugar. You want to just hand me a bag of sugar? I would Uh, eat that happily. Yeah. Yeah. So on March 7th, like, that first rescued group of survivors reaches Johnson's ranch. At camp, though, while they're waiting for, like, hoping someone will come, (laughs) because they don't know, of course, for sure, that anyone else is coming, because the first rescue group, like, was like, well, like, some people are definitely going to come. But, like, nothing had been organized yet, obviously. So it isn't, like, no one records who made the first choice there to eat the dead or like who actually carried through with it first or whose corpse they ate. But like while they're waiting for this second rescue group, like everybody has started eating the dead. And when three men from Reed's party reached them because they had gone ahead with supplies, this is about a week after like the first group had left. They say there are like partially butchered corpses lying around everywhere with like limbs and bones and like everything is scattered all over. Yeah. I mean, they're like, yeah. it's not highly organized labor that they're weak. There's like <laughs> right. two actual adults left. Right. Like, I get yeah. it. They just went out and like hacked off something so they could eat it and dragged it back in. I definitely listen. Yeah, definitely. Listen. I, I feel you guys. I get it. <laughs> Whatever you need to do. Absolutely. They say that this is almost certainly not true, but like this is the tone of the stories, some of the stories that get told mm-hmm. later. So like they say that they arrived at the Alder Creek camp to find Jacob Donard's kids eating his heart and liver raw with like blood on their like no oh, they, that is untrue. Like, <laughs> crouched around them. Right. Crashed around his corpse like goblins or something. Yeah, listen. Right. Yeah, don't. no. That's, that's that's not true. Judgy. They absolutely did. Like, this is true. They did choose to eat Jacob's corpse first. Like, his wife is still there at that point, And she says, like, yes, let's do this. So, like, they were eating him. His children were eating him. But, like, not, not like this. You know, come on. Right. No, not. So, yeah, later there's lots of controversy about the cannibalism at the camp like some survivors naturally right are very frank about it and are like i mean yeah how else were we supposed to survive while others denied it and like really wanted to disprove it so like in the following decades especially while the survivors are still alive like several of them write memoirs and you see like all sorts of different um attitudes to the cannibalism and like degrees of reported cannibalism like there's a lot of controversy about this but like so I won't say for sure that everybody at the camp is cannibalizing the dead at this point but like most of them are you know right the ones who survive (laughs) right (laughs) so now that Reed's rescue party has arrived we need to make another round of like who's going to go and who's going to stay decisions. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. 17 of them end up leaving with Reed. Again, these are mostly children, partly because that's most of who's left in the camp. And partly because like the adults who are, who are left, like 
either have to stay to take care of the kids who can't go or are too sick to leave. So Bessie Donner's three other kids leave. Um, Elizabeth Graves and all of her like remaining four children leave and all of the Breens leave. So like both of like the husband and wife and their kids. Reed leaves three men, one at the lake and two at Alder Creek to like help out with the people who aren't coming. There's 14 of them. Yeah, so 14 people total split between the two camps. Reed leaves three of his men to like help them out and like chop them some firewood and that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Because he is expecting the party from the boat that got delayed. He's expecting them to be like a couple of days behind him. Yeah, he's expecting that they will arrive soon. So they head out with their 17 survivors and like Reed and his couple of guys that he still has with him. And three days after they leave camp, they've just passed over like the summit through the pass and a giant storm hits. I was just going to ask how the weather was doing. Got it. <laughs> right. Not great. Still not great. <laughs> Still craptacular. Right. Got it. They are already on half rations because they've left most of their food with the survivors at camp. And they've sent three men ahead for more food. But those guys haven't come back yet. So this camp <laughs> will be called Starved Camp. Hmm. Yeah. Starvation Cove. Got it. Uh-huh. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so it's in an area that like is parallel to the direction of the wind. So the wind is like howling through like a gorge, basically right on top of the mountain. And they light a fire and they like huddle around. They build up a snowbank like against their backs as a kind of shield from the wind and the snow. Yeah. And the fire slowly, of course, melts the snow under it and, like, sinks further and further into the snow. So they have to keep, like, propping it up. And they have to keep going out of their little makeshift shelter to, like, cut up more wood, for example. And they basically have no food at all. So five-year-old Isaac Donner dies the second night. The storm lasts for several days. When the storm breaks, many of them are too weak to keep walking. So... There's a lot of arguing and Reed in the end is convinced to take only like the guys he brought with him, his own two children and Solomon Hook, who is Jacob Donner's stepson. So he leaves 13 people behind at starved camp. These are all of the Breens, all of the Graves and Mary Donner. These are the ones who like can't make it anymore. He leaves some firewood, but like, they obviously don't have any shelter. They don't have any food because there's none left. Reed also doesn't take any food with him. Like they're totally out of food. These people are like either waiting to die or waiting to be rescued. Yeah. <laughs> right. Those are really your only, it's a binary at that point. <laughs> right. <laughs> and like either one needs to happen in a couple of days. Yeah. <laughs> so the people from the boat with the supplies led by this naval officer named Woodworth he and like two or three other guys are on their way into the mountains. In fact, they left on March 2nd, but they found like the original rescue party coming down. And so they escorted them back and now they've come back again. And then there was a blizzard. So like 
there are delays, but they're on their way. Back at Starved Camp, Elizabeth Graves died pretty quickly, followed in short order by her son, Franklin. And the fire continues to burn, like, all the way down to the ground, which apparently is about 25 feet, like 25 feet of snow, fire down in the hole, all the way at the bottom. So (laughs) they all like climb down into this giant hole of snow and we're just all going to sit here until someone finds us or until we die. Like that's the situation. That's rough. Yeah. Meanwhile, two of the guys that Reed had left back in the camp, Charles Caddy and Charles Stone. These are the two who are, this is the one from the lake and one of the ones from Alder Creek. They tell Tamsin Donner that they're going to take her three young daughters out. Reed had apparently told her that he was not willing to take them if she didn't come also to deal with them. And she refuses to leave her husband still. And George is still too sick to travel. So these two guys are like, don't worry, we'll get them out. So they take them up to the lake. Then the blizzard hits, the one that like traps everybody at starved camp. They stay there Mm -hmm. and wait out the blizzard. And when the blizzard ends, they announce that they're going to leave. But they're leaving the Donner girls here with these people at the cabins. So they peace out. All right. And two days later, they say they passed Starved Camp, but like walked right past it without making any contact, even though they had food with them and like could have stopped and done something. They just like keep on walking. Yeah. They're like, shh. (laughs) Right. Just like maybe they won't see us circle around (laughs) and like pretend that we never saw them. I mean, they are 20 feet down in a hole, so not hard to sneak past them, I suppose. (laughs) Right, yeah. In the meantime, all of the rescuers have, like, met up. So Reed's party and Woodward's party, like, on their way up into the mountains, have met up. And William Eddy and William Foster have, in the meantime, like, on their own... (laughs) decided to go back and, like, save their children who were still at the camp. Like, they find these guys and these two dudes who just, like, (laughs) walked out. Um, In everything I've read, anyway, they're called the deserters at this point. (laughs) So, like, the two deserters. (laughs) They all meet up. And they have a little consultation. And it's decided (laughs) that seven of them are going to go back to the mountains. So, like... Not Woodworth. He is definitely not going. No, thank you. Hard pass. But like all of the supplies that he brought, like seven guys are going to carry whatever they can. These include one of the deserters and who apparently wants to like redeem his good name. He's been doing some thinking while he walked down out of the mountains and realized that was a dick move. So (laughs) he's going to go back. And one of the guys who had like, just walked down the mountain with Reed. He's like, yes, not even out of the mountains, going to turn around and go back. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. And Eddie and Foster, of course, are like, Mm -hmm. for sure going up there. The starved folk, the starved camp folks make it for five days 
I think the starved folk <laughs> that qualify. That's like everyone. <laughs> yeah, that's not specific enough. <laughs> the starved camp folks, um, after Reed leaves, they do manage to stay alive for five days by eating the dead, obviously, and by hiding in like their gigantic hole in the snow. So when this next group finds them, Foster and Eddie take two other men and they continue on to the cabins because like they got to go see what the deal is with their families and they leave three men behind to deal with like the starved camp situation two of these men grab one kid each and they start walking because they're like i mean this is the best that we can do we got to save who we can like you child look light enough for me to carry Come with me. <laughs> so they grab them and head out of the mountains or they grab Correct. them and head back? No, they head out of the mountains. Okay. But the third guy, whose name, amusingly, is John Stark. <laughs> right? Okay. Um, he doesn't like this plan. And he's like, this is bullshit. I am not, like, choosing who lives and who dies. I'm going to save all nine of the people who are left. So this is the entire Breen family, like both parents and all of their children and two of the Graves kids. So what he does is he like ferries the smallest kids, like picks up one or two kids and like carries them away, goes back, picks up another one or two kids, carries them, you know, like in like a relay system. And a one-man relay system. Yes. <laughs> That's not a relay system. That's... Right. <laughs> and he, like, for the two adults, Patrick and Peggy Breen, and, like, older kids who are too heavy for him to carry, he, like, cajoles them and encourages them and, like, like straight-up bullies them into walking. And, like, actually, all nine of them make it out and survive. He saves all of them. So, like, good so on him. Like, he's an Eddard Stark. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> the last like rescuer left by Reed at Alder Creek. His name is N- Nicholas Clark. In this interval between when Reed leaves and like Eddie and Foster and their guys show up, he has also been doing some thinking, and he pulls aside John Baptiste Trudeau, who is like this. I think he's about 16 or 17 at this point, um, employee who had been caring for the Donner clan. Uh, this is a few days after the deserters peace out. And he's like, Trudeau, my friend, <laughs> we got to get the fuck out of here. Like, I am leaving. <laughs> it would be nice if more rescuers were here when that happened. But like, whether or not they come, I'm getting out of here. And like, you can come with me if you want. Because at this point, everybody else at Alder Creek is like basically already dead. They are clearly not getting out. Or they're Tamsin Donner, who like is still in pretty good condition and she could leave on her own if she chose to. Right. (laughs) So they're like, there is no point in us like staying here and continuing to care for these people who are clearly on the verge of death anyway and are never going to make it out of here and like dying ourselves in the process. So they agree... Right. Perspective. Yeah. They agree they're going to go and they head out to the lake. And when they get there to the cabins, they find the three Donner girls who they thought had left already with the other two guys. Right. 
So Clark then walks back to Alder Creek to be like, Tamsin Donner. <laughs> Funny story. Um, your daughters are all of the cabins. <laughs> like, um, that would be spectacular. Like, they leave, they come back. They just, like, open the cabin door. They're like, Tamsin, friend. Funny story. Like, I dig that. I like that as an opener. It's like, legitimately nothing has been funny since October. So... I mean, I think nothing has been funny since we started on the Hastings cutoff, probably. <laughs> I, But, like, I think once you get there, like, once you get to, like, this pass, and it's only, like, 100 miles, right. like, you have a sense of humor about, like, oh, that was a funny, harrowing story, but, right. like, we're all going to make it right. to the Great Valley, yeah. all of the land before time, and everything's going to be fine. Psych! Um, and then, like, <clears throat> no. And then from that point on... Literally nothing has been yeah. funny. No, not a not goddamn thing. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> so Tamsin Donner is like, those motherfuckers. And she leaves George to like go walk to the cabins to get her daughters and bring them back. While she's there, Eddie and Foster and the two guys with them arrive. They had been told by Reed when they saw him that like when Reed left Eddie's daughter had already died but they both had like infant sons like who were I don't know like one or two years old and they were both alive when Reed had left the camp so they like rush in of course and are like where are our children and everyone has to be like everyone has to tell them that not only have both of their sons died, but like also they've both been eaten by now. I was like BT dubs. <laughs> right. Also ate them. Right. But there they are were delicious. Yeah. Like I <laughs> Yeah, I'm super sorry. I had no way of knowing that you would be here like three days later, you know? <laughs> right. Um, but there are four children still alive. So like the three Donner girls and Simon Murphy, who's like the youngest of the Murphy children. So they decide that they're going to take these kids and like anybody else who can walk, like come with us now. <laughs> Clark and Trudeau join them. Louis Kesselberg refuses to go for some reason. I don't know if like he still can't walk because his foot is still fucked up or if he's just like being a contrarian. I'm not really sure. He says he's not I coming. His, I thought he was the one with the hand. No, that's George Donner. That's George yeah. with the hand. Yeah. Okay. So, Lavina Murphy, and this is like legitimately the saddest part of this story to me. Like, when I read this, I swear to God, like, tears came to my eyes. She is only about 36. She's a widow. She has herded her own seven children. Her two sons-in-law, because her oldest daughters are married, and her three grandkids has, like, herded them all of this way. She has kept her youngest child, Simon, alive this entire time, as she has slowly had to, like, send out her other people, like, to an unknown fate. 
and watch others of them die. She has taken care of like children who have been left behind, like the Donner girls. She's the one who has taken them in and like given them what food they have, you know, like she has been a total champ. She now though is too weak to join the party and walk out. So they say that as like the people as part of this group say that as they were getting ready to leave, she laid down on her bed, she turned to the wall and one of the men gave her like a little bit of dried beef and then they all left. And what Georgia Donner says is that like she writes um, writing about this later. She says she seemed to realize that we were leaving her, that her work was finished. And like, Aww. That breaks my goddamn heart. Oh my god, this poor woman. <laughs> Ugh, I know. Yeah, that. Uh, I know. Pour one out for Lavina Murphy. <laughs> for real, like that's a lot. I know. I mean, again, it was a lot for all of them, but it like, was. You don't gotta do her dirty like that. Come on, man. I know. <laughs> like I know. It's just like I don't, for whatever reason, like that. <laughs> is the thing about this whole story that, like, really gets to me. (laughs) Oh, I know. So Tamsin Donner, like I said, was at the cabins when Eddie and Foster arrive. And they realize that, like, they are told that everyone else who's there is basically already dead. So they don't want to waste time going there. Tamsin, though insists again that she's not going to leave George if he's still alive but says like he might be dead already because like I had to come here to get my kids right so I'm gonna go back while she was gone the two other guys fucking shot him (laughs) to end this parody (laughs) right so I'm gonna go back and check on him and if he's dead then I'll come back and like I'll leave with you guys so she goes to walk away and they are like yelling at her being like we are not waiting for you. It is seven miles away. We don't know if you're coming back. Like, we are leaving now. We just passed these people up at Starved Camp. And like, that absolutely cannot be us. <laughs> so we got to go right the fuck now. We're not waiting for you. And she just like, kept walking, apparently. And the rescuers like, had to like, pick up her children and like, drag them away. So that's the last rescue party, really. And all of these guys, like, make it out, carry out all of the children with no casualties. By late March, everybody's back. Like, everyone who has survived (laughs) is already out in California. In late March, the last rescue party goes out, but they don't get much past the snow before they turn around. Because, like, conditions are still not great. And they reason that the only people who are, like, maybe still alive are Kesseberg and Tamsin Donner. Like, the others are definitely dead by now. And both of those had been healthy enough to leave, but had chosen to stay. So, like, no one else is going to risk their lives to go back and try and save these two people who, like, maybe are dead anyway, you know? And wouldn't come with them even if they went back. Like they Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we've been through this. We've done this. Right. Like, a couple of times. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> right. Fine. They've had like three chances and each time said no. Right. So like, fine. I don't know what else to do for you. Have it your way. <laughs> yeah. Die there then. What do I care? <laughs> right. So by mid-April, 
when like the snows are melting and spring is coming, a salvage group is organized to like go and get money and like stuff that might be there still. Because it's assumed that everybody is dead. This is partly because, um, like, partly for the benefit of especially the orphaned children, like the Donner orphans in particular. Right. Because the Donners were supposed to have been traveling with, like, a fair amount of money and gold and that sort of thing. So, like, if we can go back and, like, get some money for all of these orphans, like, that would be aces. So... They go, they come back two weeks later with Kesseberg, who was still alive, actually. And this account is like, really where the sensationalized cannibalism starts. So like, the account that gets published in a paper is like, there are butchered bodies everywhere and like heads are split open and bones are in like, it's, it's ridiculous. It's like, clearly so exaggerated. In this version of the story from the rescuers, well, the salvagers, I suppose, Kesseberg tells them that Tamsin Donner got lost on her trip back to Alder Creek. She spent the night on on the snow and managed to, like, find her way back to Kesseberg before she died. And this, (laughs) also part of the story that they tell is that they asked, they found a, because um, the snow has melted now. So they see, like, the carcass of an ox sitting around the camp, but it has not been touched. Because, like, again, during all of the blizzards, like, snow. it had been buried, they couldn't yeah. find it, right? So they apparently asked Kesseberg why he hadn't eaten the ox, and he said it was too dry, that humans were better. <laughs> yeah. All right, Kesseberg. All right. Kesseberg's account is a little bit different, obviously. (laughs) He says he didn't eat any bodies until four days after Lavina Murphy died. So, like, he says, you know, he held out for as long as he could. And then he only resorted to cannibalism so that he could, like, reach his wife and child who had left with the first relief party. Yeah. The child was dead, but, like, his wife did make it out. And he didn't know that. Exactly. And he says that Tamsin Donner arrived one night saying that George had died and that she was, like, heading out. She refused his offer of food, and he, like, gave her his bed, and then she was dead in the morning. That's his account of her death. Um, so, yeah, the newspaper account is, like, clearly really exaggerated and, like, proven wrong about some details, but Kesselberg is also, like, a total asshole throughout this entire story. And he's certainly trying to make himself look better. So, like, who knows exactly what the truth is. I mean, also, like, I, I he, he can be whatever he wants. I, I don't know if he's an asshole or if he's just, like, misjudged by history. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But, like, <laughs> I'm a smartass. Like, I'm a hardcore smartass. So... <laughs> If I have just survived this and some asshole is interviewing me about like, right. hey, remember that time you had to cannibalize people? I'm probably going to give a smart ass answer. Like, oh, yeah, like I didn't eat the ox because fucking people are tasty or you jackass. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> obviously, if we knew the ox was there, we would have eaten it. Right. Exactly. Get the fuck out of my face. Exactly. Like, <laughs> so I can see how it might have been sarcasm yeah, as well. Totally. Uh, totally. And he is, like, the last survivor. Once he's out, like, 
that's the end. During the summer, a group does pass through the camp, including like the newspaper. So I'm sorry, when was that? When when do they get? That is in April. Okay. In like mid-April. So they come back. They leave in mid-April. They come back <laughs> at like the end of April. So he survived like for a month, a month and a half, something like that. Like all by himself <laughs> in the mountains. So like good on him. In the summer, a group passes through the camp, including, like, the the newspaper writer, Bryant, who left the letters for them that they never got. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are still, like, bodies lying around in all various states of, like, disarticulation. So they kind of, like, collect the remains that they can find and bury them in a big pit, and they burn the cabins down. <laughs> and that is the end of the Donner Party. Like... Of the 81 people who were trapped, 36 died and 45 survived, which I think is actually, like, not that, terrible all odds. All things considered, you know? that's not, yeah. yeah. But most of the, I feel like most of the survivors were children, were they not? Right. So, like, here are some, I'm going to get to some fun numbers in a minute that you will okay. appreciate. The Donners, the Graves, and the Murphy children are all, have all been orphaned, like, their parents right. are all dead now. Eddie lost his entire family. Kesseberg, because of these like stories around his rescue, is branded an unrepentant cannibal, is what the newspapers call him. <laughs> and he is ostracized for most of the rest of his life. And the account yeah. at the beginning, like starting in 1847, there's this like really sensationalized and largely false. Uh, story that the California Star publishes. And in this account, it like the story becomes that it was all their own fault, that like they were too lazy to get through in time. And so like all of these terrible things that happened to them, it's really their own fault. This is partly to sell newspapers because of the sensationalized like stories of cannibalism, but also partly to like not discourage other migrants, right? Like, if it's their fault, then it's not going to happen to you, too. But, like, if it's just one of those things, then, like, you could end up stuck in the mountains with your entire family, too, you know? Um, If you listen to Hastings, (laughs) you, too, will die. (laughs) Right. So that's, like, the story right after this happens. And then kind of towards the end of the 19th century, in 1879... A paper, like a more local paper, publishes an account that like downplays the cannibalism and defends a lot of the decisions that they made. And this kind of turns the tide of public opinion. So now they're not like idiots. They're just like unfortunate, jerks, but like triumphant examples of like the pioneer spirit, you know, that sort of a thing. Um, Triumphant is definitely the word I would use to describe the Donner Party. That's (laughs) right up there. Yeah. And that kind of becomes the narrative um, for a really long time then. So in general, you'll appreciate these statistics. Women fared better than men. 28 men and only eight women died. Which I think is pretty good, actually. So like. But like, what were the raw numbers going in, though? Like, were there just more men than women or? There definitely are more men because of all of the like teamsters and employees and like most of those people are men but 
the rest of them are pretty well evenly split because they're mostly married couples, you know? Okay. Yeah, I was just curious. Yeah. So there there I'm are the there are more men, but like but not that much. Right, exactly. Yeah. But and so for a lot of people say that this is like because men have to do more physical labor and they like tire more quickly and that sort of thing. But like pioneer women like, <laughs> did not have but easy also, like, lives. The ladies that went out with the forlorn hope. Right. I mean like exactly. They don't get to just like sit around yeah. and like have men like right. they're hiking through the woods too and they right. they fared better. Yeah, so the theory is that like women have higher percentages of body fat. Yeah. It's how right. like men and women's bodies are constructed. So it takes them longer, like if you think back to the starvation episode, <laughs> it takes women longer to start burning muscle tissue as compared to fat, right. right? It takes women longer to like enter that final stage of starvation where you're burning muscle. Men enter right. it faster. Women are also typically smaller than men and therefore need fewer calories. Fewer calories. Right. right. So women like might be naturally like somewhat better equipped to survive starvation. So that's probably yep. what this I mean, gender that- split is evolutionarily makes sense right yeah totally also so like men died more often than women in greater proportions and obviously as with anything the old and the young died so like under five and over 40 these people had the highest death rates of the older adults only Patrick and Peggy Breen survived. And that's basically only because John Stark, like, dragged them out of the mountains by pure force of will, you know? <laughs> right. Um, the Breens also survived longer than the others because they started out with more meat than the other with, families. Also. With more resources. Yeah. Right. That's... All of the other couples over the age of 40, so this is George and Tamsin Donner, Jacob and Betsy Donner, Franklin and Elizabeth Graves, like, all of them died. Okay, but, like, that's on Tamsin. I'm sorry. Her like, death just... is absolutely on her, for sure. Yeah. She, like, made that conscious That's not choice. an age thing. That's a decision. <laughs> Definitely. <Right>. Definitely. <laughs> if we just look at the adults in their 20s, so, like, who you would expect to be, like, the strongest and healthiest people, only one woman died, Eleanor Eddy, and only one man lived, her husband, William Eddy, which I think is interesting. But this, yeah. part of this is because... <clears throat> most of the men in their 20s were either like solo travelers like Stanton or they were employees like the Teamsters. Yeah. While the women in their 20s were married with children. So like a big part of this is the really highlights the importance of like connection and family, both to help you survive like within the group and also to survive for, honestly, you know? Right, like willingness. Yeah. So Imperative to survive. Yeah, exactly. So, like, of the 15 people who are trapped with no relatives there, only two of them live. And all of the rest of them are dead, you know? Yeah. Only when we look at, like, family groups, only the Breens and the Reeds made it through with no deaths. The Breens, again, because John Stark, like physically carried them decided. out. <laughs> right. He decided <laughs> was they like, were going to live. Not on my watch. <laughs> right. This is especially impressive in Margaret Reed's case, I think, because she started out this like trapped in the mountains ordeal. Like her husband was gone. They had 
no resources at all. She had to like beg and borrow and like get food from other people like the entire time doing this with four children on her own. Like, well done, Margaret Reed. I'm impressed with you, honestly. Yeah. And then in June 1918, a monument is dedicated to them. So the lake is like renamed Donner Lake. The pass is renamed Donner Pass. There's a mountain named Donner Peak nearby. And today it's uh, Donner Memorial State Park. And in the state park, they dedicate a monument to them. It's this like big stone column with a pioneer family, like striding forward, looking west. It's kind of ridiculous. Um, And at this at the dedication, eight of the survivors are still alive. And Patty Reed and Francis and Eliza Donner attend the ceremony, actually. That is like the one bit of trivia that I remembered. And I, I actually don't know which family she was from, but I know the last survivor from the Donner Party, whose name was Isabella, and she died in 1935. Let's see. So she had to, she was probably one of the Breens, I assume. That yes, much I remember, Isabella I remember. Breen, she was uh, like an infant. She was about one when they left. So yeah. And was probably, again, in the John Stark, we are not fucking doing this today. Oh, she absolutely was. I mean, it was that entire yeah. family. Yeah. Like, yeah. John Stark personally carried her out of the mountains. She was an infant, and, yeah. like, her parents couldn't carry her at that point. Yeah. Definitely. I just remember, because I remember reading that when I was a kid about, yeah. like, and I was like, it blew my mind that <laughs> totally. somebody from the Donner Party was still alive in, like, 1935. Like, yeah. that was... That's crazy. So, yeah, that's that's the Donner Party. Do you feel better about being sick now? <laughs> Sure. Again, <laughs> I didn't have to eat any of my friends today, exactly. so I'm doing great. I'm having so all like, a in super all, great time. Not so bad. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, I think it's it's one of those stories because I think and like evolutionarily speaking, right? You hear cannibalism, and you have this like instinctual rejection of it, right. which is good and healthy for sure. Because there are a lot of problems that can occur when you eat people. Yes. Um, but like. Also, when you actually go through this and you you take it step by step and you, like, look at what people were going through, I think it makes survival cannibalism very understandable in a way uh-huh. so that, it, like, I don't know, we could all just be a little less judgy about it. That right. would be great. Right. And, like, you can say, like, you and I could say... I mean, neither of us would because we're not those people. But like, (laughs) if we were, we could say that like, I would never do that. That is terrible. But like, you don't know what you would do in that situation. In that sort of extreme situation, no one knows what we would do in that and how we would react to that until you're in it, you know? Thank you. Yeah. Story time is always fun. It was fun. (laughs) (laughs) So if you guys also have a request for us, an episode that you would like us to do, um, bring it on hit us up let us know and we will totally make that happen for you and you can find us on twitter at in the end podcast or you can email your requests to us at in the end podcast at gmail.com and we'll be back in two weeks thanks guys thanks Ha, <laughs>
It's funny because, like, I know the more I talk, the more I cough. So it's like, by the end of this, I'm going to sound like Tom Waits. Uh, That's fine. I definitely heard a bit of that in my voice listening to the Golden Gate episode. Mm. I could hear there were points when I was like, ooh, God. (laughs) I must have still been a little bit sick when we recorded that. (laughs) 